Greetings and welcome. Today's interview was conducted in June 2020 with Lucy Dale, who at that time was 33 years old. At the time of the interview, she was working as a community health nurse in Orange County. But in the months between the recording of the interview and its release on our show, Lucy has moved to working in Los Angeles County, where presently she serves as an outbreak investigator in underserved communities. That is to say that Lucy is daily in the very front lines of the fight against the coronavirus, a job that is as critical as it is stressful. This interview is unique in a sense that is perhaps worthy of mention. It is the very first interview I recorded for this whole project. Okay, good afternoon. Thank you so much for this opportunity. My name is Lucy Dale, or a lot of people also call me Lucy Dale. And my pronouns, well, I feel comfortable with she. And right now I'm living, uh, I've been living, let's see, almost two and a half years in Santa Ana, California. And, well, obviously, in a pandemic, I'm, t- I'm taking it day by day, trying to survive everything in this chaotic time. Yeah, for sure. It's really chaotic. Mm-hmm. So then, as you already know, I have three questions for you. And I'd say the first one is the broadest. Where are you from? And so this can be understood in a geographical sense, like what part of the world do you come from? Or else in a cultural sense, or, or else uh, like your current state of mind. Oh, okay. Awesome. So, in fact, whenever anyone asks me that question, honestly, I always have a really long answer. Because really, even if someone asks it in the geographical sense, for me, it, it's just not that simple. Because, <laughs> okay, so I was born in Chicago. But a little while after I was born, like a year and a bit, my family moved to El Salvador. And then after living in El Salvador for four years, we returned to Chicago, and I grew up in a Mexican community in Chicago. I went to a bilingual school, always speaking Spanish and English together. And so in in these different places, like Central America was one place. My family's always had this connection with Central America growing up. And of course, being born in Chicago, I grew up feeling that I'm, well, I'm bicultural. So that ex- mm. that experience of here or there, you know, it's always been difficult, right? Like to feel like I had a single response to saying where I come from. But when people ask me, the short answer is Chicago. But really, I feel like the bicultural question is a big part of my identity. And if we go further back, my mother was born in New York, my father in San Francisco, and I have the privilege of knowing where my ancestors come from, which would be Norway and Wales. But I don't really know that part of my ancestry. I don't have any connection with those countries, you know. So culturally, well, obviously I grew up bicultural with a lot of Latinx culture. But then obviously my parents are of European descent. So it's a big mixture. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Yep, it is. Okay, thanks. Um, So... Given this cultural condition, this state of coming from various places, what would be a music that represents this, this condition in which you live? Okay, so I think this goes by what period you're in in your life, right? Uh, But the song that lately, that I currently feel like represents me, is a song by Jorge Drexler called Movimiento, that is movement. And this song talks exactly about that. It talks about migration, not being from here or from there. 
And for me, it really represents that, you know, that sense of mixture that I identify with. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I love Jorge Drexler. Apenas nos pusimos en dos pies, comenzamos a migrar por la sabana, siguiendo la manada de bisontes, más allá del horizonte, a nuevas tierras lejanas, los niños a la espalda y expectantes. So then, what, what a song, and what a songwriter. Oh yeah, right? Drexler. <laughs> One of my favorites. He's, he's a real poet, mm -hmm. so... So, going back to the question I asked before we listened, what does he do musically to communicate that, that sense of movement, the, the theme of the poetry? What do you hear? Oh, yeah, definitely, like you say, he, he's a poet. And really, for me, it's, I think it's the sound of the air that you hear in the background. There's some percussion, too, so you, you feel like you're walking or something like that. So, yeah, that sound is just like you're in movement, a cycle that somehow doesn't stop, right? But it also changes a lot. And, and then there are pauses, too, where he speaks the poetry. And it's like it, um, it, it reflects really well, don't you think? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes he sings, and other times he speaks. He, he, he declaims. It's, it's really striking. Mm -hmm. So who's his audience for this song? Oh, yeah, that's a really good question. And I've wondered about it, too. So... Obviously, I don't know the answer exactly, but what I like is that he makes you question exactly that because it, it doesn't, well, for me at least, he doesn't make it very clear in the sense that he makes you question where you come from. I mean, the fact that he, well, obviously, this describes a lot of what immigration is, right? And that, well, for most people, if they have the privilege of knowing where some of their ancestors come from, they'll know that some of those generations migrated from one place to another, right? And it makes you ask yourself, where do my parents come from, too? We're talking about our grandparents or parents. So how, how does it make you think about that? Because, of course, normally we think about where we're from and automatically we think geographically, where I was born and that's it, right? But really the question is, <laughs> what makes me think that I'm from a certain place or not? That is, if I was born in Chicago, does it mean I have to feel that I'm from Chicago? You know, the song makes you think about where you're from, and, and that's what I like about it. It really makes you question that. But also I think that this moment that we're living in right now is, well, you know, with there's a lot of tension about migration and and so all this struggle about, ah, oh, no, I'm from here. They're invading my country and so on, blah, blah, blah. But wait, because you're not from here either, right? And then <laughs> where are we going? <laughs> so the song also touches on a theme that we're all living with. No? I mean, one that's super controversial for a lot of people, this theme of migration. Or else it can make you think about colonization and slavery, all of history. So I really like that when he says, no tenemos pertenencias sino equipaje. That is, we don't have belongings, we only have luggage, right? And, and then also, I also like this idea that it's a good thing to move around. He puts that value out there too. Like, I can be from here and I can also be from over there. <laughs> like I have the right to move wherever I want. Somos una especie en viaje No tenemos pertenencias 
sino equipaje. Vamos con el polen en el Lucy says, laughing, I have the right to move wherever I want. But really, it's no laughing matter. However controversial migration may become in national and international politics, it is a fundamental human right. Article 13 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, published by the United Nations in 1948, backs Lucy up and backs up all migrants with simple, powerful language. It says, one, Everyone has the right to freedom of movement and residence within the borders of each state. Two, everyone has the right to leave any country, including his own, and to return to his country. So the general tone of the song is hopeful, no? It's, it's like positive. It has a positive tone of, of movement. It's just like you say, movement as a human right. Movement like a... Like a force that all of all of us have coming from within, moving around through the world. And and yeah, it does deal with a theme that tends to get controversial, doesn't it? But he sings about it in such a calm tone. Mm, yeah, he does. But no, Drexler's voice, I love it too. It's mm. a it's a thing that uh, something that really draws me in his musics and songs is that voice he has. Yep. Yo no soy de aquí. Pero tú tampoco. That is, I'm not from here, but neither are you. <laughs> right. And he says at one point, de todos lados un poco. That is, we're all, we all have a little bit of everything. I personally identify with that a lot. For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think my playlist is about to grow a lot. Oh, yeah. In fact, Elizabeth, you have to share this playlist for the show with everyone after you do these interviews. I want that playlist. Well, that playlist exists. It's live on Spotify, and it's growing with every interview we do. It's amazing for the eclectic variety it displays. We invite you to expand your horizons, just like Drexler sings about, and check it out through the link on our website or else directly on Spotify using the name of our show, Si Yo Fuera Una Canción. My third and final question for you is, what is a music, a, a song, that expresses your hopes for the future? Well, so I've always used music for me in, in order to really think through something or, or when I'm looking for strength or for hope in the future. And, and always when I want to reflect on the hopes I do have, I always go to music in general to give me that boost. Music is a big part of that for me. And then I have certain songs that in some way give me hope, but they also make me cry. And some, sometimes I need to cry so I can reflect on something, right? But right now I seek out songs that are a little happier so that I can really access the strength I need to feel that there is hope. And these days I feel like there's one special song that talks a little bit about the self-care that we all need personally. More than anything, I identify with this song as a woman. It's called Holy, H-O-L-Y, and it's by Jamila Woods. Well, she's from Chicago. And, well, she's also an awesome woman, right? The song is obviously in English, but it has this boost that I need so that I have strength as a woman. And it also talks about the self-care I need so that I can feel like there's hope. Woke up this morning with my mind Set on loving me With my mind 
Woods's and Lucy's focus on self-care has a very particular resonance in the COVID era, of course. And Lucy herself is currently a COVID worker on the front lines of community prevention. The CDC acknowledges the stress that attends such work, from anxiety and depression up through post-traumatic stress disorder. Its tips for coping and enhancing resilience, while comprehensive and thoughtfully presented, do not currently include engaging with music and its sister arts. But surely they should. As Lucy tells us, music and poetry are refuge, consolation, and a true source of power when times are so hard. Tell me something about how you came to know this artist's work. Well, in fact, Jamila Woods is from Chicago, and I like a lot that she relates a lot to Lake Michigan. She puts a lot of that into her songs, too. I also got to know her work because she also sings with Chance the Rapper, another Chicago artist who got really famous. I also got to know her work because she also sings with Chance the Rapper, another Chicago artist who got really famous. So Jamila Woods is a poet. She does writing and poetry workshops in Chicago, and she's part of a really cool movement there, too. She's super genuine, super humble, super just really lovely, I think. So I just like her way of being, you know. Jamila Woods is a mover and shaker in the cool movement in Chicago to which Lucy refers. It's a movement that brings together poets, musicians, dancers, and local youth of color to explore what they call themes of identity, intersectionality, trauma, and healing. Always troubling the living edge between what gets called poetry and what gets called music. Woods is Associate Artistic Director of Young Chicago Authors, and she is co-organizer of Louder Than a Bomb, the world's largest youth poetry slam festival. She has two solo albums of her own music out to date, as well as various singles of which Holy is One, released in 2017. Much of her poetry can be found in free audio form online, and links to some of her material appear on our website. And then there's the rhythm of R&B, soul, hip-hop, you know. For me, it gives me a feeling, a, a certain feeling. In fact, it got me thinking, how would I translate holy into Spanish? Like keeping the sense of the English. So I started saying sagrado, right? Which is sort of like the English word sacred, as in I am sacred. But in this sense, the sense of what makes this song sacred, like what elements are there musically? Well, something that really resonates for me is the keyboard, the piano. That's that's part of it. Also, she has she has like a chorus of women backing her up. <laughs> so then it gets a little bit of that church feeling, right? I think that brings the sacredness out somehow. Maybe some other elements she brings in too, and, and then obviously her voice, hers and the other women, right? For me, that sounds sacred. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I hear that. It also comes up very clearly in her way of singing. It's like, uh, how would I put it? She sings very plainly, really simple. She doesn't put much drama into her way of singing, does she? It's it's almost like she's speaking to the listeners. I, 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 I would say conversational. And you know, it, it seems like very often it's that intimate element of the sacred that we lose, right? There she is, almost confessing, I'm holy by my own. Right. I, I love it. It's as if she were my sister. Oh, that gives me shivers. <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. And, and, and then it, 
As far as hope, your hope for the future, tell us more about how this idea of the sacred, which is something very intimate, very very personal. Of course, yeah. Uh, how does this become a hope for you? Hmm. Um, I'm not lonely. I'm alone. I mean, it's that it's that that's okay, right? I, it's okay if I'm alone. That's sacred too. There's pressure from society. We feel that we have to be something specific, especially as women in this society. But we are our own temples. The image of a woman as her own sacred space, the sacred temple of women. So there's hope there in in women. The temple of women is a great hope for me. And reminding myself that I, myself, I'm that sacred person. I am a temple and we need this self-care for that sacred temple. So the song gives me this place where I can say to myself, okay, uh, I have a lot of power as a sacred woman. I can achieve a lot. And that gives me strength for the future, you know, so I can keep going and, and know that there is hope for a better world. Oh, how beautiful. Yes. And, and yeah, speaking as one single woman to another, I... I really like those lines. I'm not lonely, I'm alone, and I'm holy by my own. I I love that. I'm not lonely, I'm alone, and I'm holy by my own. I'm not lonely, I'm alone, and I'm holy by my own. Maybe that's a good note on which to end our interview. I want to thank you for your time, Lucy, and and your thoughts, and above all for having introduced me to two such beautiful songs. Well, thanks again for the invitation. Let me know how it goes, and I'll see you in two weeks or so when I get back from Bellingham. I leave Friday at 5 a.m. <laughs> well, go with with motion, but also calmly, like like the Drexler song. That's right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Thank you. Big kiss, and we'll talk soon. Ciao. Ciao. We ended the interview at this point. Some of Lucy's perceptions have stayed with me in my mind. It's been a long time since I'd thought of myself as a sacred woman. The phrase has a resonance of the second wave feminism of the 1970s and 80s, and such phrases have gone out of style. So it was exciting to hear it coming back to me from someone as young as Lucy. I do believe that we need music, art, and wise words to help us remember the strength that is peculiar to women, as well as to all those who are not masculine. Because in spite of the advances of the last century in many parts of the world, there's a lot, really a lot, around us that continues diminishing and looking down on everything that isn't masculine. Sexism is really powerful, and it's everywhere. We need songs like this one, as well as conversations like this one, to give us strength. For that reason, I invited some of the young women and non-binary folk on my production team to chat a little further about their own ideas about self-care and where music comes into it for them. All right, everybody, welcome, and thank you so much for being here. This is our follow-on to Lucy Dale's interview, uh, in which... I asked uh, non-male members of our production team to meet and talk a little bit about self-care. 
and about how self-care works in their lives and why it is important for women and uh, non-gender binary folks in a way that perhaps it is not important for men. I think this is a really important theme and uh, it came up strongly in Lucy's interview and I would like to follow up on it a little bit here with all of you. So I'm going to start by asking everybody to just very briefly introduce yourself. Tell us your name and what you do on our production team and maybe a little bit about kind of your, your age and your position in life. What are you, what are you doing these days? I'll start with myself. Um, I'm Elizabeth Le Guin. I'm the program host, of course. I'm 63, puts me in a very different generation from all of my production team. And I'm a university professor who happens also to be running this podcast. And I'm going to pass it to Laura. Hi, my name is Laura Diaz. I'm a graphic designer for this podcast. And in my free time, I do uh, a lot of video gaming and a lot of uh, illustration, just personal illustration. Cool. And uh, you are a community college student, Laura, so I, I place your age somewhere in the 20s. Would that be correct? Correct. Yes, I am 21, turning 22 in August. <laughs> All right. Uh, Marcy, would you like to go next? Absolutely. Um, hi, everyone. My full name is Cynthia Marcel de la Torre. And as everyone knows me, I'm Marcy. Um, I am 24 years old and I am a audio engineer for Elizabeth's project, Si Yo Fuera Una Canción. Thank you, Marcy. Zoe. Yes. Hi, everyone. I'm the director of marketing and communications. I'm 23 years old and I'm turning 24 next month. Right now, I'm working on my master's in media psychology. And in my free time, I like to listen to and make music. I also have a small business where I make jewelry and I share my art with others. Cool. Thank you so much. And last, by no means least, uh, Julia. Hi, my name is Julia Lanis. I'm 19. I just turned 19 like a couple of weeks ago, so still fresh in my mind. Um, I'm an audio engineer on the team, and I am a freshman in college. So I'm studying music industry, and in my free time, I like to edit sound for short films. Wonderful. And I neglected to mention two things. One is what I do in my free time. Um, I would say probably my dominant activity in my free time is is gardening. I have a big garden and I try to grow vegetables and things in it. Uh, The other thing I wanted to mention is that there is a member of our team whose name is Deaneira Garcia. And Deaneira is not able to be with us today, uh, in part for a reason that really bears on our theme, which is that they are recovering from an appendectomy. So Deaneira has recorded a separate contribution to this conversation, which will uh, follow what we're doing here today. So we have three questions that I'm going to ask us each to uh, respond to. The first of them is this. Why do you think self-care is especially important for women and non-male identified folks? What makes it a topic of particular concern to us? 
And I'm going to keep the same order that uh, we introduced ourselves in. So, Laura, if you'd like to speak to this first. Sure. Uh, so often I notice that women often have to do more emotional labor, both at home and um, in their workplace. What this means is, um, you know, they have this sort of role I've noticed um, where they have to deal with the kids. They have to deal with the emotional situations. They have to make sure that everyone's comfortable. Um, and that, that, that puts a lot of stress. Like sometimes you don't have the emotional capacity or the, the energy to deal with those types of situations, but we're expected to um, deal with them anyway. Um, and another reason is just that I, I think women face more stressors. There are, it's a scary world out there for women. I mean, um, mm. just walking out of the grocery store, I have to be like hyper vigilant that, you know, I'm not being followed, that um, something is not going to come out and like put me into a van. <laughs> and yeah. uh, just, just going outside by yourself um, is a, it's a bit of a stressful situation, at least in my experience. Um, so I do think that, you know, women deserve to just kind of have a moment to themselves and reground and take care of their emotions and their bodies. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, thank you, Laura. Um, Marcy, you want to follow on from that? Yeah, for sure. Um, I loved everything that Laura had to say. I think that for myself personally, I was actually in a pretty unique situation growing up where um, I was really independent and I never was afraid of going out or like meeting new people. And that kind of scared my family for me. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, it's really interesting to hear Laura share her, her perspective on this because I was having a bit of a challenge to, to ver like word it in a way where it was just singling out the challenges that women face. And as oblivious as I could have acted growing up, like I could have probably ended up in a million like difficult situations if I didn't have people around me who really cared for me. Um, so I'm, I'm extremely more cognizant of it now as a result of just like having friends, family members who um, make it a big deal to, to relate with me and like just kind of move with me in different areas as we like go through different walks of life and experience, experience the world together. It's hmm. interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, you know, as we kind of braid our answers together, because they're all kind of pointed in the same direction, I think, but there's a different perspective for each one. Zoe, yeah. you want you want to join in? Yeah, um, honestly, self-care, it's so important because it's so easy to get lost in the demands of the day-to-day -day hassles and stresses. Uh, sometimes I feel like I'm bouncing from task to task, from homework to work to career planning to my small businesses and and I find myself forgetting to do small things like drinking water or going outside to get fresh air, downloading the sun, you know, <laughs> a lot of the time, um, non male identifying individuals carry the load of trying to maintain harmony in spaces. And we can't create a sustainable future without building a sustainable presence in our bodies. 
Wow. So neatly put. I like that a lot. I also like that phrase, downloading the sun. I hadn't heard that before. <laughs> One of my favorite phrases. That's <laughs> really good. Julia, you want to you wanna join in? Yeah, of course. I think, um, I think for people who are not male, there's a big uh, influence from outside sources to be this nurturing person. And um, I believe it was in World War II when women joined the workforce, they became like when they when they were adopted into the workforce, they still had the expectation of being a full time mom, a full time caretaker, a full time nurturer at home. So there's this responsibility of like always be hustling, but there's also the responsibility of like take care of your kids and make sure they are raised well. So I think there's a lot of different um, responsibilities that fall to women that make it difficult to acknowledge self-care. Yeah, thank you for bringing a little bit of history into it. I, I think that's super important. That connects a little bit with my own response to this this question about why self-care is especially important for women and non-male identified folks. And, and it just has to do with... It has to do with what you said, Julia, uh, that we are embedded in a system that, um, well, I'll just say it. Capitalism is based on a model where you exhaust your resources. And when workers like us, each one of us is earning a living, when workers become resources, they get exhausted. And the population that's supposed to make up up for that exhaustion of resources, the exhaustion of workers, is women. It's this kind of, you know, second full-time job that so many women in our generations and in our mother's generations had to carry, which is, yeah, you, you you keep the nourishing going while everyone is out there exhausting themselves in the free market. And... I just want to briefly address something you said, Lara. Um, you know, you said we we deserve self care. We we deserve um, to be to be cared for. And I would go a step further than that. I'd say it's a right. Uh, it's 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 more than just something we deserve. It's it's something we we have a right to demand of our culture. And that's gonna that's gonna pitch us toward our third question. But first. First, the second question that I would like everybody to to address, um, which is this, what is an internal obstacle to your own self-care? That is, what, what do you find yourself kind of having to overcome within yourself in order to um, achieve a level of self-care that's, that's meaningful for you, that, you know, that really makes a difference? And we'll keep the same order here. So, Laura, if you'd like to weigh in on that. Yeah. Um, so one one obstacle that I often face is just feeling like I don't deserve um, a break, and that has that has to do a lot with my depression. My I, I have a a very long relationship with mental illness, so um, I often have to fight myself. Uh, when it comes to just slowing down and realizing that, you know, I'm overwhelmed 
realizing that I I deserve a break, that I'm not a machine, um, and that you know it's okay, it's fine to 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 just stop once in a while and take care of yourself um, because if you don't, you know things will only get worse. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I mean, it sounds like you've you've learned that last part the hard way. That if you don't do this, it's it, yeah, as you say, it's just going to get worse. Mm-hmm. Wow. I'd like to jump in. Um, I too, like, have also been facing things like that where I feel like things just only get worse unless I do something about it. And the biggest thing that I think I've been able to implement into my life to help circumvent this has been meditation. And I'm really grateful for this like new learning experience because it has changed the way that I pace my day and acknowledging that maybe two or three hours from now, like as good as I've been going right now, I might need to just take a nap for like 20 minutes and just allow myself the opportunity to just process what happened during the day because of how much pressure I can put myself through. Um, Mm -hmm. All of this like relates to how important it is to being able to give yourself the time, the time that you need to develop and grow and just process. Right. And so thank you, Marcy, because you went to something that wasn't in my question, but I think it's an important element, um, which is, you know, if there's an obstacle and if it's an internal obstacle, what are some ways past or through that obstacle into a better state of caring for oneself? And um, mm-hmm. and you also mentioned time and, and the sense I imagine that you, like so many of us, have this feeling that there's just not enough time to get it all done and the the pressure that that brings um so yeah thanks for bringing the uh the agency piece into it you know uh i don't i don't know uh laura if you want to circle back here uh because i i didn't build that into the question and i probably should have uh you know the with with the in, internal obstacles the the things we have internalized that tell us that we shouldn't care for ourselves well you know what what might be a way past it for you uh, or what are some of the strategies that you've evolved? Uh, For me, it was therapy. Um, You know, thanks to my therapist, Mm -hmm. uh, she, she kind of helped me. um, What's the word? Like catch myself in those moments um, and rewire my thinking to a way where I'm like, am I, am I, am I punishing myself for no reason? <laughs> um, and then, you know, if I do catch myself in those moments, then just, uh, you know, do what I have to, to make sure that I'm going to be okay. So cool. I love that image of like catching yourself, you know, because you know that you can depend on yourself Mm -hmm. to get yourself through the day. And like, that's beautiful. At the end, um, something I've always told myself, you know, I'm the only person who's going to have my back a hundred percent. So, you know, I, I think it's, it's important to be able to rely on yourself. If, you know, for some reason you don't have anyone else you can reach out to. 
Right. And even learn how to, if you've never been able to beforehand. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think it's important to remember that is actually a skill that can be learned. Uh, Zoe, you want to, you want to weave yourself into this? Yeah, I actually really, I'm a big fan of the notion of, you know, taking the time to really appreciate yourself for being there for yourself. And what Marcy just said kind of reminded me of this saying, this quote of, you know, it's important to just, you know, give yourself a hug from time to time. Just like fully (laughs) embrace yourself and be there, be present in that moment. In terms of, you know, an internal obstacle that I experienced to my own self-care, I would say it's not feeling guilty about it. It's so easy um, to, you know, sometimes we'll feel that we're guilty for setting boundaries, whether it's in relationships um, that are platonic, romantic, or at work. It's so much more important to listen to your body first and to also be able to communicate on behalf of your body what it needs. I'm a big fan of the idea of caring for your body as you would a small child. Even the little things matter. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, lovely. Yeah, because your body is just there. And like a small child, it doesn't have words necessarily to communicate with you. Uh, we get so up in our heads. <laughs> um, Julia, what, what have you got to, to share with us about on this, on this thread about internal obstacles and way, ways past them? Um, mine's on a similar thread as to what Laura said. I have like a collection of mental health issues, <laughs> I like to call it. And uh, like there are days where my brain tells me, you know what, what if you just don't take your medicine today, which is not okay. Um, mm-hmm. And I am blessed and fortunate enough to have people in my life that will wake me up if I forget to take it. And they remind me every day and they ask. And sometimes it gets really frustrating, but other days it's like, I really need that. Um, so that's my way around it. Yeah, this is something that hasn't actually uh, surfaced up to now, but I, th- I think it's a really important element is is um, surrounding yourself with people who, I mean, Laura, you said, you know, when push comes to shove, I have my own back and, and I need to know that for myself. And yes, um, this, I think this goes actually to the idea that came up in Lucy's interview about, you know, being your own temple and maybe another way of saying that. That said, since all of us to some degree live in society and live among other people, even, you know, with the pandemic and all, we, we, we still have some other people that we have in our lives. And to the extent that we're able to choose those people and make sure that they are people who are giving us the space we need to heal, to find ourselves, to be well, to be happy. And um, that can be a long process. It's tricky. (laughs) It's tricky finding those people. I particularly want to uh, thank Lara and Julia. I want to thank you in particular for being upfront about mental health issues. I, I think this is something really admirable that uh, you know, when those things are part of one's life to just come out and say it. It's a real consciousness raising tool for all of us. It helps remove the stigma that mental health issues have had. And it creates a basis of, of relationship. Um, 
I myself, uh, I've struggled in, in not a not a major central way, but a significant way. I've struggled all my life with episodes of depression, and all those lovely messages that come in the door when when Mr. Depression walks in and tells you that, no, you don't deserve this and you're worth nothing if you aren't accomplishing something or contributing something. And just learning to tell him to shut his mouth and walk back out until he can be more polite. Uh, that's been a lifelong, lifelong process for me. So uh, thank you for bringing that element into it. I think it is woven into this topic on so many levels. Um, my last question, with which we will wrap up this little session, uh, is the following. So how could our workplaces or our schools, because uh, several of us are actually students at the moment, or our communities, you can choose any aspect that you think is particularly significant. How could these places better support good self-care for all people? What, what are some things that could happen out there? So this is the external side of the question. What are some things that could happen out there that would really make it better for us in terms of self-care? Laura, you want to start us off again? Yeah. So one, one concern that I often have when I'm applying to a job is that they will, they will understand that uh, because of my mental illness, because of my uh, anxiety issues, um, sometimes I just won't be able to make it work. You know, it's something that's beyond my control mm -hmm. and I need to take a day or two um, to kind of get a hold of myself. Um, I, do, I do wish that workplaces, um, managers, whatever it is, would understand that, you know, we're all just human and we do deserve a break. You know, we deserve to not be so stressed out all the time. But, you know, as I think, as you said earlier, that's, that's just how capitalism works. And I, I doubt it's going to change. I think there are very few, uh, you know, workplace leaders that actually understand you know, um, the importance of mental health and making sure that, you know, their employees are, are sane and well taken care of. Um, and I, I, I guess the same thing goes for schools because, you know, I went through the worst of my mental illness uh, when I was in high school and I had to explain to every single teacher, hey, this is what's going on. I need accommodations so that I don't like break down every single day at school. Mm. Um, so just um, amplifying um, everyone's understanding of mental illness and how it functions and just how it's not as uh, simple as, you know, sucking it up or, or being more positive. Wow. Yeah. Go ahead, Marcy. I, I feel like growing up in high school, I, I never really felt like I could show weakness. Like I always had to have it together. And this did stem down from like my own personal family's values in always, always being go-getters, always like just being on top of things and it created this like level of anxiety within me that 
I almost like numbed myself to my own emotions in order to get through my days. And it wasn't until I graduated from high school. And the, the saddest part of the story is when you, you know that you went through something because you find this like one journal entry that was like, like extremely eye-opening to your own self where it should have been the like wake up call to get you to find help or seek a resource. But because I wasn't encouraged within my own family to address anything, I always had to hold it in. And it wasn't until I went to community college where people were a little bit more accepting of my circumstances that I was able to see a little more empathy for my own self and my own experience. And juggling tasks is something that many college students experience because they're just moving forward in their life, creating their own pace. And um, I, I really would like to commend Laura for being able to, to acknowledge herself at such a young, young age because I couldn't. And um, I really wish I could have. Thank you. Yeah. Zoe. Yeah. Um, I'm also very interested in echoing the same remarks on just appreciating how genuine this conversation is, especially with regards to how we can reach burnout and how to, you know, communicate that with people who ex are expecting productivity from us. I'm one of my external obstacles is the issue of scheduling and specifically planning time for myself. I'm currently still working on this, but I'm working on prioritizing myself rather than squeezing in time for myself, um, putting myself on my schedule rather than saying, Oh, I have five minutes. I'm going to go ahead and eat lunch. Um, but rather being intentional with the time I make for myself. It's just, I have this experience when I was in my undergrad at UC Irvine, I reached burnout just because I was doing full time. I was a full-time student at the same time. I was working in student government, traveling at trying to advocate for students when I really should have been also advocating for my own mental health, my own sanity. And it eventually led me to have to um, I had to stop taking classes for one quarter just because I was unable to focus in class. But being able to take breaks and having teachers that are willing to work with you is so important. It's it's a, at the point where it's like if you can't schedule yourself, you need to make sure you have a strong support system that can hold you accountable to supporting yourself. Or even we need to normalize institutions implementing alternative assignments for people who may have trouble waking up one day or getting out of bed one day, or even just finding the will to do the work. It's just very important for our institutions to make sure that they are implementing change, you know, on a more long-term basis that supports students, workers, anyone who is expected to just kind of spit out labor all the time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, this is, this is intense. Julia, what, 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 what do you have to say to us on this question? I definitely agree that workplaces should um, work to accommodate people who are struggling uh, just because I feel like that's the human thing to do. 
Um, and I think another thing that I really would have wanted from my community earlier on in life would have been not shaming people for not only getting help, but for me getting medication. Um, I was hospitalized and in an outpatient program and a partial hospitalization program. And I've been through a lot of programs essentially. And uh, it took me a long time to feel comfortable taking medicine because um, my family was not a big fan of it. And Mm. I wish that my community had been a little more open to the idea that if your brain doesn't produce the amount of serotonin that you need, then seeking medication makes sense. Um, So I think that the best thing that I could have asked for from my community would have been more support in terms of seeking help. Yeah. I can, if I can just sort of comment here, um, same thing. Uh, All of my family told me, do not take medicine. It's bad for you. You're going to change completely. Um, But I, I was adamant enough to ignore everything they were saying. And, you know, take the medication anyway. And, you know, I do not regret it because I really don't think that I would be able to function normally without it. So props to you, Julia. We did it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, really. I I am so impressed by just the level of uh, engagement that this conversation is provoking. And I just want to wrap it up with a, a, a couple of remarks. You know, you, you said, Laura, you know, you returned to the, the theme of capitalism that I had raised at the beginning and, and said, you know, it doesn't really look like these accommodations uh, for the variety of human experience and, and human capacity. It doesn't look like that's going to be changing anytime soon. Um, and that's, you know, you've got some reason to say that. It certainly has changed too slowly and is changing too slowly. And yet, uh, here's where I, I bring in my perspective of, of being more than a generation older than the rest of you, um, which is there have been some really significant changes along this over the years in, in our country, in the United States. Uh, and we shouldn't forget them because things really were a lot worse before them. The, the one, one that comes to my mind uh, is the Americans with Disabilities Act, which, if memory serves, was passed in 1990. It is standard now in colleges and universities and I think public schools as well, to make accommodations for differently abled students. And I would hope that, you know, as as uh, each of you goes forward into other kinds of work when your schooling is officially over, that you would hold your workplaces to that standard. And, uh, you know, I, there's there's a certain warrior woman <laughs> thing going on here. I mean, I think every one of you is is a little bit of a warrior. And, uh, you know, it might mean having to kind of take a risk and stand up to a boss who isn't being understanding about unreasonable pressure. Uh, but I just bring this up because I, I want to I emphasize that there is some support out there and people have been working very hard on this now for several generations and it has made a difference and it can continue to make a difference. 
um, we can make a difference. We are making a difference by having a conversation like this one in public. So definitely. that's the note I kind of want to wrap up on. Um, I think I've said my piece. I've definitely talked enough. If anyone else would like to just say a few words in wrapping up, we'll uh, we'll call it we'll call it a show. Yeah, productivity is not realistic if we're not mentally and emotionally present. And it's important for our communities to recognize that and to create more avenues on a daily basis to normalize supporting each other on a more personal level. I'm very appreciative of this conversation to start, you know, get the ball rolling with how organizations can look to implement more effective change and support for differently abled people, and also just for anyone to make sure that they're taking care of themselves. Yeah. Thank you. I think it's the greatest question to ask, which was something I believe um, one of us beautiful ladies said, which is what's the human thing to do, Mm. you know? And at the end of it all, like we are human beings and it is a challenge for all of us so why not empathize with it and help each other to to make it through? Yeah, thank you. All right. Um, thank you, Laura Diaz, Marci de la Torre, Zoe Broussard, Julia Alanis. Um, I'm Elizabeth Le Guin, and... Um, you can join the conversation on these very interesting and important topics uh, by going to our website, cofuera.org, and telling us what you think and what your experiences have been. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you, ladies, uh, and let's call it a show. Would you like to know more? On our website at cofuera.org, You can find lyrics to the songs we discuss, our blog about the issues of history, culture, and politics that come up around every song, links for listeners who might want to pursue a theme further, and some very cool imagery. You'll also find playlists of all the songs from all the interviews to date, and our special staff-curated playlist as well. We invite your comments or questions. Contact us at our website or participate in the Si Fuera conversation on social media. We're out there on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And then there's just plain old word of mouth. If you like our show, do please tell your friends and your families to give it a listen. And do please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll bring you a new interview every two weeks on Friday mornings. Julia Alanis, Cynthia Marcel de la Torre, and Wesley McClintock are our sound engineers. Zoe Broussard and Laura Diaz hold down the marketing. David Castaneda is music researcher. Deaneira Garcia and Alex Dolvan make production possible. We are a not-for-profit venture currently and gratefully funded by the John Paul Simon Guggenheim Foundation. For now, and until the next interview, keep listening to one another. I'm Elizabeth Le Guin, and this is Si Yo Fuera Una Canción. If I were a song. Si yo fuera una canción, sonarían por las calles, las montañas y los valles, mi orgullo y mi pasión. 
soy yo de corazón Soy una onda, soy una onda Una vibración que ronda por el universo vivo Y sonando soy testigo a nuestra unidad más honda 